The reading this morning is from Proverbs chapter 3 and it's verses 1 to 4. Proverbs chapter 3 verses 1 to 4. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many days and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. Welcome to the lesson. I hope that doesn't put you off that I used that word right at the start. Welcome to the lesson. If you're, uh, if you're in school or uni and uh, going back soon, or if, um, for that matter, you're a teacher or you're lecturing in uni and you're going back soon, maybe you didn't like the idea of coming to church this morning and getting a lesson, but I'm afraid that's what you're getting. Hopefully not too much school style from me, but that's what you've got here in Proverbs chapter 3. Before you get to the, the kind of the pithy two-liners that we're used to as Proverbs, probably, you get these passages on the lead up, a series of lessons to set the scene for the Proverbs proper. Now in ancient Israel, there's no real evidence that there were schools in Israel. School and lessons were basically mum and dad at home. And this dad that we've got this morning speaking to us through Proverbs just happens to be King Solomon. He's the main compiler, collator and composer of these Proverbs. They're not the only one, but he's brought this collection together and the start of the lessons are very much focused on him teaching his son. The idea, of course, was not just that Solomon taught his son some important truths. The idea was that these were spread out to the people of Israel and all the homes there, and of course down the centuries to us as well. So what we've got in the first nine chapters, actually, are these series of lessons preparing us to understand the Proverbs proper correctly. What's the aim of the lessons? Well, to put it in a word, wisdom. If you want the lesson aim, it's this. Wisdom through the fear of the Lord. If you look right at the start of chapter 1 of Proverbs, we read the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. For gaining wisdom and instruction. That's the lesson aim. Wisdom. Wisdom is living in God's world, in God's way. Of course, we know, don't we, if we know anything about the world and anything about the Bible, that human beings have stopped doing that since Adam and Eve. Humans have stopped doing life in God's world, in God's way. But there is a way back to living God's way, and that is the fear of the Lord. Look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the picture in Proverbs really is that, that there's this, this life called wisdom, living life God's way, and the gateway into that wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. That word fear doesn't speak of the first thing that might pop into your head, which is a craven fear, but it's a, a relationship of rejoicing and trembling entered into through faith in God and his promises. God is called here the Lord, block capitals in your translation probably. It's, this is God acting in covenant. In other words, God when he makes promises and follows through on them. From Genesis 
through the revelation, what we see is that God makes promises. In the early part of the Old Testament, God makes promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. Promises that are ultimately about Jesus. And it's through faith ultimately in Jesus that we enter into the fear of the Lord. And it's through that fear of the Lord that we walk wisely. We live God's way. The reason I'm saying all that, just to set a bit of context, is that we need to see that we need the fear of the Lord through faith in Jesus in order to live these things out. As one writer puts it, trying to live out these proverbs without the fear of the Lord, trying to do these things without faith in God through Jesus Christ is like taking cement mix and trying to make cement without water. It just doesn't work. All you get is a useless mess. What you need is the fear of the Lord. You need faith in God for these things to work. So far, so good. Hopefully that explanation and introduction makes sense. But then you read our verses this morning. I have to say, um, Michael's not here, is he? No, he, so he said, would you like to come and preach on Proverbs 3? I said, oh, great, Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You're not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. He said, yeah, could you do verses 1 to 4? <laughs> and I, oh, okay. My son. So as I read these words, ask, in your experience of real life, does this work in the real world? My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. That's nice, isn't it? And then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. So when I read those verses, I was like, hang on, do these verses actually work? Is this how the life of faith works out in practice? Because often... I feel I do try and follow God's teaching, but I'm not sure that's prolonging my life and giving me prosperity. I try to be faithful and loving, but I'm not sure that always wins me a good name with my neighbours in the sight of God and man. So how do we understand these words? A little bit more by way of the introduction before we get to unpacking the verses themselves, because I think the answer to that question, how we understand these right, is how we understand all of scripture right, which is context. And first of all, in the context of Proverbs. Now, we've got to realise these Proverbs, they aren't just life hacks. You know, do X and Y results. And life just got easier. These aren't fortune cookie pronouncements. Proverbs qualify and explain each other. As you read one bit of Proverbs, you've got to understand it right by reading the rest of Proverbs. Just like any other Bible book. Because they qualify and explain one another. Don't isolate them. So, for example, when you look at um, following God's teaching, prolonging your life, does that mean our three score years and ten gets extended to 120 years when we obey God's word? Well, Proverbs helps us understand that. And then when you broaden out the context a bit and think of generally, that helps us. For example, the book of Job. Does it mean that if we do what God says to us through Solomon, we get a long life of peace and prosperity. If we're loving and faithful, that we get favour with men and we get a good name. Well, when you read the book of Job as one example, it stops us seeing those verses too simplistically and superficially because that wasn't the case for Job. Through most of that book, he was a righteous man and yet he didn't know prosperity. 
So the, the wisdom books help us too. And then when you broaden out even further, a whole Bible context helps us. Genesis through to Revelation shows us starkly that we live in a world of fallen people. We live in a world of evil. I don't need to explain to you what that means this morning if you've checked your news feed or watched your TV and looked at what's happening just in that one country in our world of Ukraine. We are unable to perfectly keep these proverbs and even if we did, not everybody would be pleased with us for doing so. Not everybody would cooperate. We wouldn't have favour with everybody. So we need to look at the context to understand these verses right. And ultimately, of course, this leads us to the greatest context of all which is Jesus himself to whom Proverbs points only Jesus can perfectly live this book because he's the only perfect person he is the ultimate fulfillment and presence of the wisdom of God spoken of in this book and only he can live it out perfectly so if only he can live it out perfectly do we ignore it no we rest in the fact that Jesus has kept all this for us and we trust that he enables us to live life this way we trust that there is blessing in this way of wisdom that these verses do mean something even as imperfect people in a messed up world because he has rescued us and he is coming back for us these proverbs show us how to live a life for god a life for jesus with purpose and joy in a confused and ruined world i mean i wrote those words earlier this week before things started getting really bad in ukraine but how apt this book is for us at all times and especially now it shows us how to live life for god with purpose and joy in a confused and ruined world i've seen footage i think you a lot of you will have done it too of christians in ukraine singing worship songs in, in, a, in, a, in a in a subway how can they do that because this book shows them how to live with joy and wisdom in a ruined world. I think a really good illustration of this that I can't take credit for, I basically pinched it from Christopher Ashe in one of his talks on uh, Proverbs, is that you've got to imagine the book of Proverbs as a, as a map. So you're trying to make your way through a city, um, and the book of Proverbs is like a map that's helping you make your way through the city. The only problem is that the city is damaged. It's falling into decay. It's a bit war-torn. There are crumbling buildings. There's rubble in the streets. The landscape is altered in places. The way isn't smooth. But the map helps us to make our way through the city with purpose and with safety, the map keeps us going. And the map also, of course, shows us what the city should be like. And actually it shows us what the city will be like when the king, that's Jesus, comes back to restore it. But meanwhile, even though the map doesn't perfectly represent what we see in front of us, because it's a ruined city, meanwhile, the way to walk, the way to navigate, is by using the king's map. At times it won't 100% represent what we see. But what it does do is it shows us the safe way, the wise way, the way of blessing now. Which is why this series is called Foundations for Living. Because this book, this passage shows us how to live in a ruined world. So it doesn't 100% represent what we see, which is hard and frustrating. But it does represent perfectly what we will see. It shows us the way of blessing now but it points us to a future horizon. So, what does this morning's part of the map show us? That was a long introduction. First thing we see is this, in verses 1 and 2. Obeying God's word 
brings abundant life. The word abundant isn't there in the text, but I hope to show that this is what's been talked about. Solomon and the other proverb writers aren't giving us merely human wisdom. When you read words like Lord here and love and faithfulness, that's covenant language from earlier in the Old Testament, showing us that Proverbs flows from and gives kind of a a granular detail to the stuff we've read in the Torah, the first five books, the stuff we've read in the prophets. To hear these instructions is to hear God's voice. And you'll note when you look at the first 12 verses of Proverbs 3, that what you have is a a command and promise structure. Um, The odd verses give a command and the even verses give a promise if you keep the command. That's what we have in these verses, including these first two. And here the command is, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commandments. See the parallelism you get in Hebrew poetry there? Uh, Repetition to enforce the point in in different words. Do not forget, but keep. When we hear God's instruction in Proverbs, we're not to forget it, we're to keep it. In other words, we're to hear it, we're to read it, we're to memorise it, we're to deeply internalise it. How, how much our generation needs to do that? To know the word of God and to learn it and to internalise it. And the promise, if we do it, is this, that the life of faith we will have is a good life. A life of shalom. For they will prolong your years your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Well, you see peace and prosperity there in the NIV. That's actually the one Hebrew word shalom that I'm sure you've, you've heard before. But again, when you read those words, I'm thinking, really? Is that what I really can expect if I obey Solomon's instructions here in God's word? Peace and shalom, prosperity? Well, let's think about our principles of interpretation again think about context proverbs context when you look at what life means in proverbs then yes a lot of the time it basically is talking about our three score years and ten look at chapter 10 verse 27 the fear of the lord adds length to life but the years of the wicked are cut short and then chapter 11 verse 19 truly the righteous attain life but whoever pursues evil finds death so The word life seems to be used in similar ways in other bits of Proverbs. So to some extent, even in this messed up world, living according to God's word by faith gives a good and lengthened life. How does that work? Well, often I think when we read Proverbs, we realise that all other things being equal, they often lead to these effects. So if you listen to what God's word says about your body being the temple of the Holy Spirit, for example, and you look after your body, if you love your neighbour as yourself, as the Bible tells you to, then it is likely to be good for your health and your longevity. It is likely to mean you have good relationships with other people. So up to a point, and all other things being equal, these things are true now when I obey God's word at a basic level. But life means more than just these three score years and ten. That's the other thing that the immediate context of Proverbs shows you. Good, chapter 3, verse 18. Speaking of wisdom... We read, she is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Tree of life. That speaks of Genesis, doesn't it? That speaks of more than just physical life. That speaks spiritual life as well, doesn't it? Look at chapter 12, verse 28. In the ways of righteousness, there is life. Along that path is immortality. Chapter 14, verse 32. We read this. 
But when calamity comes, the wicked are brought down. But even in death, the righteous seek refuge in God. How can you seek refuge in God when you're dead? Because you're dead, but alive too. Life means more than just our three score years and ten in Proverbs. Life means something beyond that. That's the further horizon. Do you see the picture? The Christian life is a good life. It's a wise life. And it's a good life now, as we know God's shalom. That word shalom means peace. It means wholeness. As one commentator puts it, it means life as it should be. And when you're a Christian, you know something of that. You know purpose you know life as it should be not perfect yet you haven't got the fullness of it but you know something of shalom because you hear and obey God's word and trust in him and trust in his promises about Jesus the Christian life is a good life knowing in a world of strife that we have peace with God because of the cross of Jesus and It's a good life because we are also sure that we will one day know total shalom, perfect peace, total prosperity. We will one day truly and fully know life as it is meant to be. Because this life of wisdom, this life of the fear of the Lord, this Christian life is a life on a trajectory into eternity. You see the picture, because this is going to happen in the next bit too, that yes, these things are true now on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday in this fallen world. All other things being equal and up to a point they are true, but they are fully and most gloriously and perfectly true in that future horizon when Jesus returns. This is showing us what the outcome of the gospel is. What the outcome of our trust in Jesus is. The Christian life is a good life because it's a life on a trajectory into eternity. So Ukrainian Christians can know peace, shalom, now as they trust God's word in the face of Russian tanks and bombs and suffering and separation from family. They can. It's impossible humanly speaking but it's not impossible for God. They can know that. Because God has put it in their hearts, reconciled him to himself, and because they know that shalom in all its fullness is coming. That's the reality of their lives. They have started on a life, this life, that the New Testament calls eternal life, that will become one of total peace and endless years and ages of abundant life. This is a good life, isn't it? This is the way of wisdom in a ruined world. So that's the first two verses. Let's just look at the next two to think a little bit more about our foundation for living this good life in this ruined world. So now we're starting to get into the specifics a bit more, and Michael's going to continue them next week. So our first point is that living in obedience to God's word brings abundant life. The second point is God's people live by love and faithfulness, verses 3 and 4. Father Solomon here picks out two traits, love and faithfulness, and says, look, son, these are key in living this wise life this god-fearing life this joyful abundant life you need love and faithfulness these aren't external things only these are things of the heart write them on the tablet of your heart he says bind them around your neck and keep them close you know i love that that language of um engraving them on the tablets of our hearts and binding these characteristics these attributes around our necks makes me think of a couple of passages in the Old Testament. Uh, One of them is Jeremiah 31, 33, where Jeremiah is prophesying the coming of a new covenant. 
that the Messiah will bring. And we read this. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. Makes me think of that. This is something that God does. God will do under the new covenant when he sends his son as saviour. He will write his word, his law on human hearts. Also makes me think of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and uh, verses... um, eight and nine talking about the laws the commands the word of the lord moses says tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates it doesn't exactly say tie them around your neck but it's near enough isn't it these attributes have been engraved on our hearts these attributes of, of love and faithfulness are things that God gives us and only God can ultimately give us. And yet at the same time, these attributes of love and faithfulness are things that we are called to do. Characteristics we are called to show. This makes sense because these are God's own attributes. This is what God is like. And therefore they're ones that his people are described as having. These words, love and faithfulness, are a big Old Testament words. Uh, in for a penny, in for a pound. I've given you one Hebrew word this morning. I thought I might as well give you another two. One of them you probably have heard of. The other one might not be so familiar. Love here is hesed, or chesed apparently is, is pronounced. It sounds almost like a Welsh word to me, chesed. Steadfast loving kindness. Steadfast love is the way the ESV translates it. Loving kindness, the way the King James translates it. I put them together because I think it's helpful. Steadfast loving kindness. And then faithfulness is the Hebrew word emet, apparently. And so often those two are found together, not least where God describes himself. He uses these words to describe himself to Moses. He describes himself this way in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is what God is like. So engraving these things on the tablet of my heart and binding them around my neck means at the very least reflecting regularly on God's character, doesn't it? It means worshipping God. It means Thinking big thoughts of God from his word. This is why we need worship. Not just Sunday worship, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday worship. We need to be fixing our eyes on God and praising him for who he is so that he, by his spirit, can imprint these characteristics that he shows onto our hearts. God showed chesed, steadfast loving kindness to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all the characters in the Old Testament. David speaks of chesed a lot. Even when their faith was tinged with sin and failure, God showed this steadfast love. In other words, he loved them, but it wasn't just a feeling. He loved them and he did what he said he was going to do for them. That is what God is like. He always does and he always will do what he says. Don't doubt, Christian, That Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension is proof that God is the God who always does what he says he's going to do. He will never let you down. Some of you, some of us have been let down terribly by people who claim to love us. Maybe people who really did love us. God never will. This is what he is like. We see these attributes in God, but of course we don't just see them in God. They're here in Proverbs because we're meant to seek them in our lives. This is so important because to see these characteristics of steadfast love and faithfulness in our lives is reassuring for us, 
because it shows that we know God's favour, then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man, but also it's declarative to the world. These attributes win the favour of men and women somehow to some degree as we show them. As we think about these two words for just a few more minutes, we need to realise that they have an effect on those around us. When we show love and faithfulness, its wisdom is winsome. We're like God to people. It's declarative. It's effective. It's evangelistic, in a sense, when I show love and faithfulness. The favour of those who see these characteristics makes me think of another few verses that are favourites of mine in Acts chapter 2. We often read these out in the Bridge Church. Acts chapter 2, 46 to 47. As the, the believers were together and shared life together and shared the word together, every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Was it all the people? Well, no, it wasn't all the people because some of the Jews were, were persecuting them. But a lot of the people showed favour towards them. Why? Because they were showing this love and faithfulness, these, these otherworldly characteristics they could only really get from God. Wise living in the fear of the Lord in this fallen world draws people to the king. When you and I show steadfast loving kindness like God, and faithfulness, truthfulness, reliability, like God, it draws people to the king. Not always, not 100% of the time. Remember the, the image of the map and the ruined city. The map represents a lot of what happens in the world, but it's not a complete comparison yet. But showing these traits given by the Spirit glorifies God, gives us assurance, and it shows the world what God is like, what our Saviour is like. So as I close, what do love and faithfulness look like when, when the rubber hits the road? Well, again, Proverbs context. Let's start there. It helps us, doesn't it? Look at Proverbs 23, but a bit later in Proverbs 23, verses 27 to 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbour, come back tomorrow, I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Practical compassion. To those we know, those around us, shows steadfast love and faithfulness. Other bits of the Old Testament help us too. I mean, the classic example of this, you might have guessed where I was going, is the, the Old Testament book of Ruth. Uh, hesed, steadfast love, is a, is a key word in that book. Because it shows us that steadfast loving kindness in human beings who believe in God and trust him and follow him looks like the stubborn, steadfast love of Ruth for Naomi. It looks like the persistent compassion of Boaz for Ruth. They saw this characteristic in their God who had saved them and whose covenant promises they believed. They received it from God and now they showed it to others in the covenant community. And Solomon wants this for his son. God wants it for us. Steadfast, loving, kindness and faithfulness. And I was just asking myself as I was writing these notes this week, am I both steadfast and compassionate do i really live with steadfast loving kindness because this this trait of my god and my savior is meant to influence every choice and movement of my life it's especially important when there's no direct command or principle in the bible that applies to the situation i'm facing 
then one of the few things that can help me is, am I living by steadfast love and faithfulness? Am I both steadfast and compassionate? Do I, for example, confront my Christian friend with the sin that I see in their life? Someone said, well, they did it, so tell them. Some of us are very good at the speaking the truth bit and not the speaking the truth in love bit. Others of us are so loving and fluffy, we'll never tell anybody anything. How do I decide whether I'm going to confront them? I ask myself, is what I'm about to do or not do a result of steadfast covenant loving kindness? Do I love this person within the covenant? I want to see them following God. See how these attributes help us make decisions? Do I take this job? How will it affect my covenant relationships? My steadfast love for those in the covenant community. How will it affect my showing of chesed and emmet to others if I make this life decision? Do people detect a pattern of steadfastness and faithfulness in me? I mean, if you're feeling brave, you can ask people who know you well about these things. Do they detect these characteristics in you? Do I do what I say? Do I keep my promises, for example, to my kids? Oh, well, you know, I I can't always keep my promises. Well, then don't make them. Because your God is a God who makes promises and you can stake your life and eternity on that and he will never let you down and he will never fail in a promise. So be like him, is what Solomon's saying. Do I give up on relationships easily because I'm more consumerist than I am covenantal? You know, I'm not getting enough out of this relationship now, so it's time to move on. That's not steadfast love. That's not faithfulness. Am I committed to the covenant community? Do I really love and get into the lives of those in the church? This, these are just some of the things that these attributes in our lives look like. Just this one word chesed alone is one of the great neglected realities. One of the great building blocks of the foundation for living this wise, abundant life on a trajectory into eternity. Because it means to be like God. It means to be like Jesus. To live like this is to grow in assurance that the life of verse 2, that abundant life of verse 2 is mine. And to show my saviour, my saviour God, to a world of strife and unfaithfulness. So I leave you with that. Um, if you do a spiritual, I hate to use this phrase, but it popped into my head. If, I, if you do a spiritual lateral flow test today and ask, <clears throat> are these two lines on the test? Steadfast love and faithfulness. Are they there? Are they there at all? Maybe they're there, but they're weak. Well, that's a good thing. At least they're there. If it's weak, what do I do? Well, like the answer is I gaze on my God. I run to Jesus and I ask Jesus to make me more like him. What a foundation. What a great start to laying a foundation for a good life. If I believe and obey, I am living the best life there is. I'm growing like my God and Savior. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you lived this whole book, this whole Bible perfectly. Thank you that we're righteous in the Father's sight because of what you did at the cross. And we don't have to earn our favour, our credit with you. We are yours because of what you have done, Lord Jesus. But Lord, we just long to show these characteristics in our lives, to be more like you, to be more like the Father. 
so that we do gain favour, we do gain a hearing with those around us, so that people see something of what you were like in our lives, so that we get to tell them about what the wise way, the way of life everlasting in Jesus looks like. So Lord, please help us to live like this. Holy Spirit, create these attributes more and more in our lives for your glory, for our assurance and joy, and for the sake of the world around us. Amen.